Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because the queen and the king who saunter down to the ring, noses up, Watching their dream team try and destroy John Cena. Kane will be the first former fire-breathing monster, kin to The Undertaker, controlled by the magical urn. Now a suit-wearing, butt-kissing, bootleg Drew Carey. But then your jaws will drop when your boy Rusev can't get the job done. That's when you get those weird red eyes that are about to tear up and your hand starts to shake and you're sweating through your suit and you look to Stephanie for some support but she's like the new guy in the corner puking her guts out. Which is actually okay because after you're done throwing up you're going to be hungry and I got no problem feeding you sexual chocolate. Who the fuck wrote this bullshit? The Solid Monster sounds off. My client, Brock Lesnar, conquered the street. This doesn't make any sense. Your title belt is made of leather. You're not a real vegan. He's fat. You haven't been beat up properly. Welcome to episode 355 of the Solid Monster Sounds Off podcast here for Survivor Series Sunday. November 23rd, 2014. I am the Solomonster. Monster. Thank you so much for downloading the podcast this week. You can listen to it each and every Sunday on thesolomonster.com, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, or iTunes. We have got another pack show for you this week. Obviously, we're going to get into Survivor Series predictions here in a moment. Uh, have some big news, finally. At long last, TNA has announced their new television deal. Plus your questions, and I've got some things to say about one Bill Cosby at the end of the show here this week, so you'll definitely want to tune in for that. But first, I have to mention our special offer from Audible.com that you guys have been taking advantage of ever since I mentioned it last week. We have our free 30-day Audible offer. That has not changed. You can sign up using our custom URL. Sample the service for free for 30 days and get one free audio book that you get to keep no matter what. I mentioned last week that... Chris Jericho's new book, The Best in the World at What I Have No Idea, is available in audiobook format right now through Audible. Uh, the book, you can get it on there the traditional way for over 30 bucks. I don't know why you would do that. You can get the book for free. All you have to do is use our link, audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. When you put that URL in, it will probably look like the main page of Audible, but it will register our code. If from there you go and sign up, you will officially be registered, and you can get your free book, and it kicks a little something back to the podcast. So please make sure you use that URL and take advantage of this offer. It is a great book. I'm not done with it yet. I'm almost done. I'm about 80% of the way through the book, and hopefully I'll, I'll do a review on our YouTube channel after the fact. So get the Jericho book for free, or if you want, there's also The Stone Cold Truth, which is a Steve Austin's book that came out many years ago. Uh, I think Jim Ross wrote the foreword for the book. The cool thing about The Stone Cold Truth which is also available through Audible. Uh, Again, traditionally, you can just buy it through there for $15, almost $16. I don't know why you would. You can get Stone Cold's book for free if you want. 
by using our URL. And the cool thing about that book, uh, unlike the Jericho one, is that Austin actually did the narration on the audiobook himself. So it's Steve Austin himself who you hear taking you through two and a half hours of audio through the entire book. It's actually pretty cool stuff. So whichever book you prefer, use our URL, take advantage of it, audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. I think we're one or two more signups away from breaking our monthly record. I mean, we've been doing this since the beginning of the year, uh, and you never know how much longer we'll be able to offer this for, but we've been doing it now for a, a while, and this is on track to be our biggest month ever. That is pretty cool stuff. Have some PayPal shout-outs for people who have donated directly to the show. You can do so on the Solomonster.com. The donation box is always on the right-hand side. It's always the quickest, most direct way to support the show. I want to give a shout-out to the Australian ass-kicker, Anthony Patty. I love that name. The Bronx Bomber, Robert Hordines. Meat Hook Marvin Ellis. The Emperor of Extreme, Justin Robinson. And last but not least, Majestic Marik Z. Thank you guys and gals so much for making a donation to the podcast. Again, you can do so on thesolomonster.com and get yourself a cool wrestling nickname. At least I think they're cool. And uh, last but not least here, one last cheap plug, and that is for our store, prowrestlingtees.com slash off. We've got ten different t-shirt designs up right now with another one on the way, uh, likely any day now. So keep checking the store. They ship all over the world, so there is international shipping wherever you may live. Most likely, you can get yourself a Sound Off t-shirt. You can pay via PayPal, credit card, debit card. Pretty much every major form of payment is accepted. So head on over to ProWrestlingTees.com slash SolomonsterSoundsOff and show your support for the podcast by wearing a Sound Off t-shirt. WWE Survivor Series is live tonight on the WWE Network and, I guess, on pay-per-view. From St. Louis, Missouri, the home of one Randy Orton. Always an outside shot, I guess, that Orton could rear his ugly head, although I don't know that he will. He's uh, filming a movie right now for WWE. Look, I mean, I guess they could always fly him in as a surprise. He comes out, gets the big hometown pop, costs the authority the match. It could happen. It could happen, but uh, we don't know. He's not advertised for the show, but they are in St. Louis, and it's a show that... This is going to be an interesting show for a lot of different reasons, because as they've been saying, the Survivor Series is the second longest-running pay-per-view in company history. The Survivor Series really has not meant anything, largely, for a long time. Uh, they, people still talk about the Big Four. The fact is, there really is no Big Four anymore. If you're going to say that there's a big anything, it's the Big Three. It's Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, and SummerSlam. And that's it. Survivor Series has not been a big pay-per-view for a long time. You could say when The Rock came... Uh, back to team up with John Cena, that was kind of a big deal, uh, but that was, you know, it, it was a rare occurrence that they would actually build up Survivor Series as being anything special, because it's been a forgettable show for a long time, unfortunately. I was, look, I was always a big fan of Survivor Series growing up as a kid, and the elimination matches, and they did that one year, the uh, ultimate match of survival at the end of the show, and then the wild card match a few years later. I mean, there's been a lot of really memorable events and matches that have taken place at Survivor Series. There was a little something that happened many years ago in Montreal. I can't remember what it was. Uh, the first Elimination Chamber match, Shawn Michaels winning the world title in Madison Square Garden. I mean, there's been a ton of moments. Hopefully, we'll have some moments on this show. They've, they've got to come out with their best foot forward. Because for the first time, they're putting Survivor Series on the network. Okay, Survivor Series is on the network in a month where the network is free. So... For all intents and purposes, this pay-per-view is free. 
Now, you may still have people who buy it on pay-per-view. I don't know why you would do that unless you don't have the network. Obviously, if you don't have the network, you'll have to buy it on pay-per-view. But if you can get the network, you would be a fool to spend $60 on this show. I just don't know why anybody in their right mind would do that unless they had absolutely no access to the network. And I think most people, I guess unless you live in the UK, but even the people in the UK, there are ways around it, okay? Don't spend $60 on this show, people. Believe me, WWE does not want you to spend $60. They want you to get the network and watch it on there. And so they've got to make this show memorable in some way, shape, or form. They have to keep people coming back in future months and saying, you know what, that was a hell of a show. Maybe there was a big surprise, something big happened, went off the air with a happy moment, whatever, big cliffhanger maybe. You've got to do something to give people a reason to subscribe for the $9.99 in December and January and February and so on and so forth. This can't just be another run-of-the-mill pay-per-view. And if it is, then they're idiots. And their network will never succeed. So this is a big night for WWE. They really have to have something big up their sleeve. And they might, because uh, the big rumor that's out there, uh, I don't need to, I'm not going to mention what it is, because I don't want to spoil it for the people who haven't seen it. Although, if you're one of the few people who have still not seen anything about this, this rumor online, I suggest you get off the internet until Sunday, because you will at some point be spoiled. I won't give anything away. Uh, Jim Ross has commented on it. A lot of people have already been commenting on it uh he seems to think that it may be legitimate maybe it was leaked on purpose by wwe to create a buzz for the show if so i guess it's a smart move on their part although something like this you know i i really do wish that they would save some things like this as like a big surprise i would hope the company didn't leak this and who knows if it's true who even knows if it's true but the rumor is that there may be somebody uh very big making an appearance at the pay-per-view this weekend We'll see. We'll see if that's the case. I don't want to say anything more than that because, again, I don't want to spoil it, and I don't know what uh, their role may be on the show, uh, what they may have in mind for them. I don't want to get my hopes up that it's going to be some grand thing. You know, who, who the hell knows? Uh, but there is a, uh, a definite buzz out there that there may be a major appearance on the Survivor Series show, and if so, that will certainly create some buzz around the product. Uh, the show is being built around the main event, Team Cena, John Cena, Dolph Ziggler, Big Show, Eric Rowan, and Ryback against Team Authority. Seth Rollins, Kane, Rusev, Mark Henry, and Luke Harper. If the Authority loses, they are no more. The Authority must uh, break up. The implication is that Triple H and Stephanie will be out of a job. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Uh, But if Team Cena loses, they've added another stipulation as of SmackDown on Friday night. And the stipulation is that if Team Cena loses the match, every member of Team Cena is fired except for John Cena. Because you see, John Cena has value to WWE, unlike all these other jabronis that are on his team. So those are the stakes. They wanted to create a situation where the stakes were raised. Uh, It didn't really make any sense that the authority really was the only... A team that had something to lose. You felt like they had to add a stipulation. Maybe it would be John Cena's title shot that he has. Because he's the number one contender, in case you forgot. (laughs) Why they did that match months before the actual championship match, I have no idea. Uh, But they didn't do that. Instead, they they went the predictable route. Because, to me, the you're fired stipulation is so played out in wrestling. I'm talking wrestling in general, WWE, TNA, we've seen it in, even ROH, I mean, we've seen this stipulation used 
so many times before. Nobody believes it. Nobody believes it. I mean, the last time there was a firing stipulation at a Survivor Series that I remember, it involved John Cena, who got fired, and I don't even know that he missed a single week of television. Maybe he missed one, maybe? It's a joke. Nobody buys it. Nobody believes it. And, you know, if we were to look at this from, like, a kayfabe perspective and, and, you know, put ourselves in this world and pretend this was real, you know, I can never really understand why, if you're an authority figure, you would even want to have a stipulation like that, where you have an entire team of guys, four or five different guys, talented guys, guys like Dolph Ziggler and uh, guys like Dolph Ziggler. (laughs) And uh, I'm looking at the team now. I'm not impressed. And why would they even want that? Why would they want to, you know fire a talented member of their roster and allow them, in theory, to go somewhere else. I mean, the whole thing is just stupid. It doesn't make any sense. It's dumb. It's played out. And I don't like it. I don't like the you're fired stuff. It's just way too played out. Maybe if they did it once every blue moon, it wouldn't be so bad. But you could say that about a lot of different things that WWE does. When it comes to comedy, when it comes to distraction roll-up finishes, for fuck's sake. I mean, you know my thoughts on that. How many times have they relied on that finish? Or any kind of roll-up or cradle or... I mean, for every fucking week with these finishes. But the distraction roll-up in and of itself, if they did it once every now and then, it's not the worst finish in the world. What makes it the worst finish in the world is when you use it every fucking week. So I think realistically you can say that about any stipulation in wrestling. Uh, So yes, I am not a fan of that. But the uh, bigger question is, who wins the match? Uh, I, I am still a believer even though there's a lot of things that lead me to believe that Team Cena will probably win the match. I probably should side with Team Cena here. I don't think they will, though. I really, I still maintain, even with the new steps, that the Authority will win this match. Uh, And the question really then becomes, how will they win this match? And that that becomes harder to answer. That's one of the things about this match that I do like, is that it's not that easy to predict how the Authority might win. Or how Team Cena might win. Who might get involved or what might happen. I I still think there is an element of unpredictability to this match. Uh, That I do like. Will somebody turn heel? I mean, we hear that that a lot. Oh, this guy should turn heel. This guy should turn heel. Everybody should turn heel. But if ever there was a time where it would make sense for there to be a defection and for somebody to turn on John Cena, I can't think of a better person than Dolph Ziggler. Maybe Sheamus. Now, they did an angle with Sheamus on Raw where he was hurt by the authority. He was taken to a hospital. He's out. He's out of the match. Rowan replaced him. On Twitter this week, Sheamus posted a photo of him in the hospital going in for surgery. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
surgery. I don't know if that's legit. It looked legit. Uh, he didn't indicate what the surgery was for, so it looks like uh, he may have already been hurt. He had to go in to have something taken care of, so they did the angle on Raw. I don't think he actually got hurt on Monday night. But depending on this surgery that he had, if he really did have surgery, I mean, who's to say that Sheamus won't be able to you know, do some kind of a run-in and cost Team Cena the match? Because where were they? Where was John Cena to help Sheamus on Monday night? More importantly, where has John Cena been to help his buddy Dolph Ziggler? I mean, not that the two of them are besties or anything like that, but this guy, you picked this guy to be on your team. Okay, he's a loyal, card-carrying member of Team Cena at Survivor Series. For as much trouble as John Cena has had finding guys to be on his team, you would think that whenever this guy gets ganged up on by the authority, two-on-one, three-on-one, four-on-one, curb stomp here, curb stomp there, curb stomp everywhere, where is John Cena? Nowhere to be found. And not only has Ziggler been getting his ass stomped into the ground every single week, now he lost his championship too. He is no longer the Intercontinental Champion, which we'll talk about in the Raw review. Luke Harper beat him for the belt on Monday night. There are so many reasons, if I'm Dolph Ziggler, to say, you know what, fuck this guy. And when the time is right, I turn my back on him. Even if that, that doesn't even mean that Dolph Ziggler joins the authority necessarily. It just means that this guy is fed up with Cena's selfish bullshit and the fact that he lost the Intercontinental title and he's been losing so often, you, you want to hold out hope that maybe that's a sign they're going to turn him? Because you can you can do that. I mean, if you're going to turn the guy, it almost doesn't matter if you've you know beaten him to oblivion over the last few weeks and you took the title off of him because in the end, the payoff is that he's going to do this big turn and he'll be better off for it. I would like to think that. I mean, <laughs> I'm probably smarter than that to, to think that, but I would like to think that. So I would not be shocked at all if somebody turned on Cena in this match, and I think the most appropriate person would be Dolph Ziggler. And I know he's very over with the crowd, and the people love him, but it's not doing him any good. I mean, if, if, if by turning him, it will put him in a better position to be more prominently featured. Will it open up more opponents for him? I haven't really thought about that too much, but, I mean, let's look at it. We have on the, on the heel side, you've got Seth Rollins, and you've got Kane, and you've got Rusev, and you've got Mark Henry, and I guess now Luke Harper... And I guess their position now is the top heels in the company. You've got Miz and Miz down. I mean, now you're getting further down the card. On the babyface side, you've got John Cena. You've got, oh, I guess Bray Wyatt on the heel side too. But on the babyface side, you've got John Cena. You've got Dean Ambrose. And the well runs pretty dry after that. Uh, Roman Reigns is not back yet. Daniel Bryan, who knows when he'll be back. So there really aren't that many strong babyfaces. You've got the big show and you've got... Eric Rowan, I mean, who cares about those guys? Who cares about Eric Rowan? Who cares about the big show? Uh, they need to have somebody that Ziggler could could feud with, I guess, if he did the turn. Cena, I guess, would be the most obvious guy, but I guess my fear there would be it would just be a placeholder until Cena gets Brock in January. So uh, I, I don't know what they have planned, but all I'm saying is the motivation for, for Ziggler or even Sheamus to do a turn with this selfish prick is there if they want to do it. And if they want to keep the authority storyline going until WrestleMania, which I think they probably do. Now, look, if they end it at the pay-per-view, great, because God knows this thing has run its course. Um, but I, I think uh, they probably want to drag it out a little bit longer. There's also the question of Orton. I think if we do see Randy Orton, it probably ends uh, with him costing the authority the match. So I guess I would be wrong. Uh, but I, I still, I just... You know, Triple H made an interesting comment on SmackDown about how... There's nobody else, aside from he and his wife, 
who could possibly replace Vince McMahon and run WWE. Or, or something to that effect. And I would be lying if I said that the name Shane McMahon did not cross my mind when I heard him say that. Uh, I miss that guy. I actually miss Shane. It's been long enough, and we've had Triple H and Stephanie shoved down our throats for so long. Uh, now, I don't think he's coming back, but if they insist on going forward with the, the family split storyline, okay, and they keep this going until WrestleMania, you know, maybe between Vince and Triple H and Stephanie, I'd love to have Shane show up to help his dad kind of wrestle control back away from Hunter. And, and maybe play into the idea that I was the heir apparent before you weaseled your way into the family, and now we're here to take our company back. See, that would be pretty cool. And then you have it culminate at WrestleMania in whatever match it may take with surrogates or whatever. Now, I'm fantasy booking now, I admit, but I just thought it was an interesting comment for them to script into the show for him. You know, you would like to think that when they make comments like that, there's a reason for it. They have a plan. And I just thought that was a very bizarre comment. So, all signs point to Team Cena winning this match. The weekly beatdowns and the curb stomps on all the baby faces. The fact that this storyline is way past its expiration date. The fact that the final image on SmackDown was of Triple H laying out Ryback with a pedigree. Uh, And now this extra stipulation seemingly giving away the finish. Which is another reason why I typically don't like the firing stipulations. It's not universal, but a lot of times they just telegraph the finish of the match that way. Despite all of that, I'm sticking with my prediction that the Authority wins this match. So they're my pick. We have Dean Ambrose against Bray Wyatt. Uh, I'm going with Dean Ambrose in this match, if for no other reason that this guy needs a big win. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, he he's still over. He's been knocked down a few pegs. He's been kind of phased into the background with all the Team Cena stuff that's been going on, uh, which, which kind of sucks. And I haven't really gotten into the whole Ambrose Wyatt thing the way I was hoping I would, uh, the way that I thought I would. I still think they'll go out there and have a great match. I think the two of them, they're two brawlers. I, I think they'll have a great match. Probably the first of several. So it's entirely possible we'll get some kind of fuck finish or non finish or double count out or DQ or something like that. Uh, I, I'm going with Dean Ambrose, though, because. He needs a big win more than Bray Wyatt does. Bray Wyatt is in the position, even though he just came back himself, and they haven't been doing much with him until he came back, as a heel, he can sustain the loss, whereas a win would mean more to Dean Ambrose than a loss would to Bray Wyatt, if that makes sense. You know, he didn't get the big win over Seth Rollins in their feud, which kind of made him, I think it made him look weak to some extent. So... Of the two, who needs it more? Dean Ambrose does, and I hope they give it to him on this show. And you could do a deal where he wins the first match, but then Wyatt viciously attacks him afterwards to keep it going. I mean, just because Dean Ambrose gets you know, a pinfall win in their first match, you know, first of all, he doesn't have to use his finish. It could be one of those fluky sunset flip finishes or something. Uh, but you can give him the win and still keep this thing going. I mean, God knows we saw it a ton of times with Austin and Rock back in the day where I don't think Rock won a single match those two guys ever had until WrestleMania 19. At least not a, a meaningful match on pay-per-view, and they were able to keep that thing going. So they could do the same thing here. We have Gold and Stardust, if any of their tag team titles. And apparently his name is just Gold now. That's kind of weird. Uh, so yes, Gold and Stardust, defending their tag team titles against Miz and Mizdow, the Usos, and Los Matadores. Four-way for the tag team titles. I don't know if it's elimination. I'm guessing it's not. Uh, but either way, I'm going with Golden Stardust to retain the titles. We have AJ Lee defending the Divas title against Nikki Bella. I am going to go with AJ 
I figure Brie gets involved in the finish either accidentally or maybe on purpose, costs her sister the match. Uh, I think that stipulation is probably coming to an end. It, it started at the last pay-per-view, so uh, it might not end tonight, which means I guess if she were to intentionally cost her sister the match, she would be fired. Another firing stipulation, by the way. Unbelievable. Uh, I, I think AJ's getting the win here, though. And then we have a Total Divas Survivor Series elimination match. Natalia, Emma, Naomi, and Alicia Fox against Paige, Layla, Summer Rae, and Cameron. And just because I am a fan of Paige, I will go with Team Paige to win this match. And those are the only matches we know of right now. That's it. I'm sure they'll add one or two more. Fandango supposedly is going to be uh, wrestling a match on the pre-show, so he's back. And it looks like he's with Rosa Mendez now. Uh, Bad News Barrett will be back on the kickoff panel with Paul Heyman. Would not at all be shocked to see them add an Adam Rose versus The Bunny match at the last minute. Uh, I've seen some talk that maybe this New Day faction may debut on the pay-per-view. Maybe they'll have a match. They've certainly got plenty of time to fill on the main show if they want to add something. Monday Night Raw this past week was live from Roanoke, Virginia. I don't think they'll be returning to Roanoke, Virginia for a television taping anytime soon. They do have a house show next June, so that's something. Uh, I suspect that's all they're going to be getting. This was not the best Raw crowd of the year. Uh, That is an understatement. We had Grumpy Cat. Now, Grumpy Cat was the guest star, the guest celebrity on this show. I guess the status of what what constitutes being a celebrity has fallen greatly in the last several years. And I said last week, Grumpy Cat being on Raw, to me, is not a big deal. As long as they keep the segments limited to the back, and maybe they'll actually be funny. I've seen far worse Raw guest hosts. Human beings who were far worse guest hosts than Grumpy Cat. And sure enough, they did some backstage stuff. They didn't bring the cat to the ring, thank God. They did some backstage comedy. Unfortunately, it wasn't funny. I didn't think it was funny. Uh, it wasn't terrible. I, I Again, I've seen worse comedy from them. I just wasn't laughing out loud at anything they were doing. And if anything, I just felt bad for the cat. Because they kept doing these zoom-ins on the cat's face. And the funniest thing about it... And by the way, Michael Cole referred to uh, Grumpy Cat as Grumpy the Cat at one point. Yeah, and you're Shitty the Announcer. That's my name for you. But the funniest thing about this was at one point, actually multiple times, they did a zoom in on Grumpy Cat, and the cat was falling asleep during the show. They had the cat, like, propped up on, uh, I don't even know what, like a pillow or something, and uh, and the cat was falling asleep. It was dozing off, and somebody under, from underneath, maybe the owner was just off camera, was probably nudging the cat, and the cat suddenly would, like, wake up. It was like they were poking the cat with a stick. And that would wake the cat up, and the cat would realize, oh shit, I'm still at Raw, and it would like get all depressed, and it would start falling asleep again. And I just said, I felt so bad for this cat, because that's exactly what happens every single Monday night when I watch Raw. I think every person listening to this podcast can relate to poor Grumpy Cat. At some point during three hours of Raw, every single week, we find ourselves in the exact same position where we're falling asleep. And I just felt bad for the cat. Other than that, it didn't offend me. I just didn't think it was all that funny, the uh, the stuff they did with the cat. And Larry the Cable Guy is going to be hosting Raw this upcoming week. So I would love it if they just brought Grumpy Cat back. At least Grumpy Cat doesn't open her mouth. She doesn't say anything. She just sits there. Larry the Cable Guy, something tells me he ain't just going to sit there. So unfortunately, they're back on this celebrity host uh, bullshit. The two themes of this show on Monday night 
both revolved around John Cena, as everything does in WWE. Number one, John Cena sucks at comedy. Uh, now, a- actually, I take that back. I take that back. I-, I am willing to bet that John Cena is actually very good at comedy when scripted by somebody else. So those two movies he's in next year that are coming out, I bet he's really funny in those movies. When WWE scripts comedy for John Cena, he really, really sucks. It's bad enough that we have to sit through his comedy every single week, like we did at the end of this show. Now, they're replaying his comedy bits from a year ago. That's what they did in the opening segment. We finally see some actual storyline consistency from this company, but it's John Cena comedy that they decide to show us from last year with the Ryback stuff. I guess be careful what you wish for. Uh, But the second thing that was made abundantly clear this week, and I've been saying this for months, okay, maybe years, on this podcast. If you are a friend of John Cena's, and Zack Ryder found this out the hard way, if you're a friend of John Cena's on television, if you are partners with John Cena, you're on your own. Best of luck, pal. Best of luck, that's all I can say. Don't expect him to come save you When the odds are stacked against you, this guy has built a team for Survivor Series to take on the authority. Dolph Ziggler is getting his ass kicked. The Big Show is laying there unconscious in a pool of sweat. Sheamus ends up in the hospital as a result. And no John Cena to be found. Perhaps he's running late to the building, doing Snatch, or whatever the fuck it is that he does at the gym that he's always tweeting about. Oh no. Because a couple of segments later, there he is, backstage, watching intently on a widescreen. Thank God he's only a wrestler. Imagine all of the lives that would be lost if John Cena was a cop, or a fireman, or a lifeguard. You know how many people would drown each year? If Cena really was Superman, like people say he is, okay, Zod would win and the movie would be over in 15 minutes. It's it's just... It's such a lack of respect. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Towards the fans to not even acknowledge the obvious. Give us a logical explanation why John Cena would not lift a finger to save his brothers. And they, they don't bother to do that. It's just, he just doesn't show up. And the comments I saw on Twitter from, you know, the, the diehards and just random casual wrestling fans were, were universal. Where's John Cena? Why isn't he coming out? I thought he was the, the face of the company. He's the savior. He's the team captain. That just makes it worse. And I just think it's a slap in the face. 
to just figure, eh, the fans, you know what, it doesn't matter. We don't have to bother explaining it. Luke Harper beat Dolph Ziggler to win the Intercontinental Championship. Hopefully, fingers crossed, hopefully this means bigger and better things for Ziggler. Uh, (laughs) I know, that, that was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, Ziggler was killed with a curb stomp after the match. No John Cena, who we're supposed to believe hates Seth Rollins every bit as much as Dean Ambrose does. Uh, or did. I guess Ambrose suddenly doesn't care about Rollins either. He can only focus on one feud at a time. Immediately after the match, they went to a hard sell for the network with the announcers. And Jerry Lawler said, and I quote, Our pay-per-views are where big things happen. He said this coming off a match where the Intercontinental Championship changed hands. Poor timing. Tyson Kidd beat Adam Rose when the Bunny failed to interfere on Adam Rose's behalf. After the match, he tried to clothesline the poor Bunny, but the Bunny countered, got behind Adam Rose, and began to dry hump him. Fuck this company. Ryback beat Cesaro in a good match in front of a dead crowd. Cesaro wasn't, he wasn't totally jobbed out here. This was actually a, a really competitive match. And all due respect to Ryback, because Ryback is not, he's not a bad wrestler. Uh, But this match was as good as it was because of Cesaro. Ryback hung in there with him. He was kind of winded when it was over. This was easily the longest match he's had since he came back. Uh, Ryback is on the pay-per-view. Cesaro is not. So it, it made sense for Ryback to win. But just the fact that they couldn't find a spot on the show, or they may throw him out there at the last minute, maybe he'll make the show... Uh, he did get jobbed out to Eric Rowan on SmackDown, enough that the referee had to stop the match. You know, this this guy deserves so much better than this. And I've come to the, the realization that what I want to see at this point, I want to see Cesaro in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I really do. I, I don't know when his contract is up, but he could probably get himself a sweet deal over in New Japan. And the guys that he could work with over there, the matches they could have, I mean, holy shit. Uh, I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of seeing guys that are better than this, that deserve better, and they just don't do anything with them. Or they put them out there and they use them as a stepping stone to guys who aren't half as talented. And I'm tired of it. I'm just tired of it. So I hope he leaves when his contract is up and he goes to New Japan and he can go in there and he can tear it up and just do what he does best. I mean, if, if, if people there really do think he's boring and maybe that's part of why they're not doing anything with him, first of all, they're idiots. I mean, how many times do I have to say it? When he was the United States champion, they did these YouTube vignettes with him where he would go to each city and he would meet the people, kind of like the old jaywalking segments on Jay Leno's show, on The, on the Tonight Show, and he would mock them and berate them, and it was some of the funniest shit I've ever seen. And they never bothered, of course, to show it on television. All they do is have him come out and do that little pew, 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 you know, whatever that fucking thing is that he does with the little guns with his fists. I don't know what the fuck that is. And he comes out there and he does that. Remember when they had him with Paul Heyman and he was marching to the ring like he had a a stick shoved up his ass? Thank God he stopped doing that. The yodeling, thank God they had him stop doing that. It's like these people don't know what the fuck they want to do with this guy. Let him go somewhere where he'll be used the way he should be used. You don't think he's, he's exciting? You don't think he's got personality even though he does? Fine. Let him go somewhere else and he'll thrive and he'll do what he does best. He'll go in there and he'll just stiff the shit out of people, and I'll have a lot of fun watching him do that. They did a deal with the Big Show and Stephanie McMahon in the ring where Stephanie said, look, how would you like to go into the WWE Hall of Fame next year and be part of the class of 2015? All you have to do is quit Team Cena. And the Big Show contemplated this, and he thought about it, and 
he basically turned her down, and then Sheamus came out, and in the end, she put Sheamus against the big show. She's trying to divide the team. So she put them in a singles match, and uh, all you need to know about this, they did a, a big angle at the end of the match where uh, Team Authority basically just killed both guys dead. They had the big show out unconscious in the accolade from Rusev. Uh, they had Sheamus laid out, and then he got taken to the hospital. I was shocked they actually used the word hospital for a change, and they didn't say a, a local medical facility. I was blown away by that. That might have been the biggest surprise of this entire show, the fact that they used the word hospital multiple times. And uh, so that that's really what the point of this segment was. It was just to take uh, those two guys and try to drive a wedge between them and then uh, leave them laying so you think, when the show is over, uh, that John Cena doesn't have any partners left. So... We had the Divas stopwatch at two minutes this week. Two minutes and one second, to be exact. AJ Bree. It was Bree Bella dressed up as AJ Lee against Nikki Bella. It was kind of a little exhibition match. AJ Lee was at ringside. I think she was doing commentary. Uh, there was a distraction roll-up finish here. Their favorite finish. And so Bree won, and I think Nikki beat her up after the match, and then AJ beat both of them up to a tepid reaction because... AJ Lee is an interesting one. AJ is very over. She has a lot of fans, but she is such an unlikable character. There's nothing about the AJ Lee character right now that is likable. She's not a straight baby face. She's not a straight heel. She's just kind of a bitch, and you don't really know what side of the fence she falls on. She's a, a de facto baby face right now because she's in there against Nikki Bella, but there's nothing about the character that's really likable at all. Nor is Brie. They've done a, a, a piss-poor job of making Brie Bella into a sympathetic character, which you would think would be the whole point of the storyline. Her having to do humiliating things for her sister for an entire month. Oh, poor Brie, I feel so badly for her. I don't feel sympathy towards Brie at all. I don't think anybody does. So they're not doing a, a real good job building up sympathy for any of their divas right now. Except Emma. Poor Emma's uh, stuck in purgatory there. Another one they're not doing anything with. And then we had the main event segment, which was supposed to be a contract signing. Although, interestingly enough, there was no contract signed. And I don't know if that's going to play into things. If, let's say, the Authority does lose its Survivor Series and they say, well, we never signed the contract and that's our loophole to get out of this whole thing. I would hope not. That would be a cheap way to, to kind of worm your way out of that whole thing. But, interestingly enough, it was a contract signing without any contracts being signed. Uh, this segment I was not a fan of until the end. It, it got it got better at the end when they started doing the reveal of you know, the different members of Team Cena came back out. But, oh my God. I mean, until that point, you heard some of it at the top of the podcast. I played some of the audio. They, they decided to go the comedy route. Now, the last time they decided to go the comedy route for a Survivor Series main event was Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and John Cena in a three-way that actually, if I remember, turned out to be a pretty good match. And it had that uh, that great open where as soon as the bell rang, Sean super kicked Triple H out of the ring. It was like the shocking moment nobody saw coming. The match itself was good, but the build-up to that match was horrendous. You had three of the biggest stars in the company ever, not, let alone at that time, fighting for the world championship. And they built it up on comedy with Hornswoggle every single week. It was a fucking joke. And that Survivor Series did such a horrible buy rate that for a, a certain period of time in 2010, there was no Survivor Series. Vince McMahon was like, that's it, take it off the schedule. Uh, for a while there, it said TBA to be announced on the pay-per-view schedule where Survivor Series was supposed to be because he canceled the show. And then he came to his senses, he got talked out of it, and Survivor Series lived on. 
but it's like, why do you think the show did so bad? Gee, I wonder. When you build a main event around fucking comedy with a midget, I wonder why your pay-per-view didn't do well. And so here we are. They've been building this thing up like the invasion from 2001 where everything is on the line here. Triple H actually did a pretty good job earlier cutting a promo about the importance of this match and what it means. And, you know, he and Stephanie are going to lose their jobs if Team Authority doesn't win and all of this stuff. And now they've added the stipulation about the firing too. But this match is supposed to be taken seriously. Everything is at stake here. And they decide to do comedy. They decide to have John Cena do comedy that wasn't funny nobody was laughing nobody was reacting he it, it's it's cringeworthy when they give him this material to go out there with and why he doesn't speak up and say something i'll never know what a team player this guy is would it be so bad to say this stuff sucks i'll come up with something better maybe maybe it is maybe maybe it's his idea maybe he does come up with something better and that's what he comes up with i don't know i wish i knew I wish I knew who was responsible for this this awful comedy. And I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that that's how they're building this match. So when they came back and all of a sudden John Cena got all serious, it was like, eh, who cares? Who cares? It's a fucking joke, right? So why should I care? But then they did the reveals and Ziggler came out there and Big Show came out there and they did the Eric Rowan entrance, which I actually thought was very well done because they showed Luke Harper's face, and Harper had this, like, shocked look on his face, and the people actually reacted to Eric Rowan. I think it was more, uh, it, was a, it was a genuine surprise, and they liked the idea of Harper against Rowan. Uh, I don't know how long that feeling of euphoria for Eric Rowan will last, probably not very long, but on this night, people loved it. Um, it, it, and, you know, look, they did the thing with Cesaro where he came out and it looked like he was going to join Team Cena, only he was like, no, 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 no. And it was like, he was trolling. And then he vanished. I thought maybe they were adding him to the match. They were going to make it six on five. Nope. He just kind of disappeared. They had a big brawl and Cesaro was nowhere to be found. Ryback was the last guy, of course, who came out. And uh, to end the show, we had John Cena delivering an attitude adjustment to Triple H through a table. And that is how they went off the air. And so uh, that's where we are with Survivor Series. It's Team Cena against Team Authority. We'll see how that shakes out. And the uh, fallout, I guess, will be on Raw this Monday night, whether there's an authority anymore. And if not, are they going to find a new authority figure? You know my thoughts on authority figures in wrestling. I would be perfectly fine going back to the days of having no authority figure because everybody knows that Vince McMahon is the chairman. Vince is the end-all, be-all. He is the ultimate authority figure. You don't really need a GM. You don't need anybody on that show to make matches. How about having matches already made when you go on the air? Wow, what a, what a concept. What a concept that would be. To actually go on the air and say, we've got a great lineup of matches for you tonight. You don't even have to say by who. Believe me, it worked for years. Where matches were signed, but we didn't know who signed them. They were just made. Kevin Steen is on his way into NXT. We got our first promo hyping his upcoming debut, which will take place. It is confirmed now for the NXT TakeOver Evolution special on the WWE Network December 11th. So mark that date down. He was talking in the promo about, I will fight anyone and everyone. And I've had a lot of people ask me, like, do you think he's going to use the package pile driver? Would they allow him to use it? And I've, you know, the answer I've been giving is no. I just don't see... 
I don't see them letting him use any sort of pile driver. He'll have to come up with a new move. Now I'm not so sure. I, I and There's been nothing that I've heard or seen or anything like that that would lead me to think that. But the more I think about it, I wonder if maybe they would let him use it. I mean, I'm guessing they still don't. But he's so, you know, known for that move. But then again, you know, Kenta was known for his go to sleep. And obviously he can't use that, although that's for very different reasons. But I, for one, am looking forward to Kevin Steen's debut, and it opens up a, a, a myriad of possibilities as far as how they introduce him. Is he introduced as a heel? Is he introduced as a face? Uh, very, very curious to see how they handle it. But a lot of talent on NXT right now. They're all coming together at the same time, and it's really cool to see. We had Becky Lynch beating Bailey in the opening match. She hooked the tights off a distraction from Sasha Banks outside the ring and won with a roll-up. Charlotte made the save for Bailey after the match. Vaude Villains were in the ring, seemingly for a match. They challenged the Lucha Dragons to come on out. They were gonna, they are going to challenge them for the NXT Tag Team Titles at Takeover. Instead, we had a miniature version of the Lucha Dragons, an old WWE fallback. Bring out the midgets. Let's mock the midgets, and that's what they did here. And They put one of them in an airplane spin several times, which looked like it sucked for the little guy. And then uh, they beat him with a forearm to the back of the head and pinned him. So basically, the point of this segment was to get heat on the villains to very much establish the fact that these guys are heels. They are not to be cheered. Uh, You are to boo them in their match with the Lucha Dragons. They are evil, evil men who you want to see have their asses beaten. Uh, I, you know, it didn't do anything for me. I mean, the, the midget stuff... Again, it, it's just... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So passe and it, it's cheap heat, yes, but I don't know. Whatever. It, it was what it was. I wasn't uh, offended by it one way or the other, but I can't say I was overly entertained by it either. We have Baron Corbin against Elias Sampson. He beat Elias in 22 seconds with the end of days. The fans have taken to this gimmick now where when the bell rings for one of Baron Corbin's matches, because his matches don't go beyond 20 or 30 seconds, they start a countdown. So the fans counted to 22. And as he was leaving, they already started playing Bull Dempsey's music. And out came Bull Dempsey, and the two of them passed like two giant ships in the night. They brushed past one another. Bull made short work of his opponent, this guy Steve Cutler, who I think is the same guy that you guys a while back, some of you had sent me a, an image of this guy's face and you said he looked just like me. I, I don't see it. Besides, this guy is a loser. I'm no loser. So he beat him with the flying headbutt off the top rope, and it looks like they're uh, clearly setting up a match between him and Baron Corbin for the live special. They can build it around the, 
the loser suffering their very first loss on NXT. Something's got to give. Both guys are undefeated. Alex Riley talks, uh, he talks a lot, Riley does, when Corbin's out there, and he did this week, about how he has a presence. The guy has a presence about him, which is true. He does. I, I don't know if he can wrestle worth a shit, but he's a big dude that has a certain aura about him. That's why I think if if he's protected and he can at least wrestle a decent match, I think this guy's going to be a big star. I mean, a big guy will always have more chances to succeed than a small guy in WWE. Always, no matter what. And I don't think that's going to change even after Vince is gone. Because look who's taken over. And I think Triple H has done a great job of of building all of this new talent in NXT, a lot of a lot of whom are not big guys. You know, Kevin Steen, I guess you could say he's big, but he's really not that big. Adrian Neville is a small guy. Sami Zayn is not a big guy. Devitt is not really a big guy. Kenta. So I like what Triple H has been doing with NXT, but I have no doubt in my mind that things will not be that different under a Triple H regime in that if you have a big guy who looks like a Baron Corbin, believe me, a guy like him will always get more chances to succeed and to make it than a guy half his size. That's just how it is. And so I think, like I said, if he can wrestle even just a little bit, he'll be a big star. And if he can wrestle real good, even better. So, Bull Dempsey is a big guy too, but in the opposite way. I think that works to his disadvantage. We had Tyson Kidd beating CJ Parker with the sharpshooter. After the match, Kidd challenged Finn Balor to a match on next week's show. I know what I'll be thankful for on Thanksgiving Day this year. Wow. Kid and Devitt. That's pretty cool. Enzo Amore and Colin Cassidy with Carmella beat Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder, or as I called them when they made their entrance, Who and Cares. Thankfully, they didn't job out the uh, the certified Gs. I don't even know if that's their official name. What is their name? Do they have a team name? I've seen uh, I've seen people mention Port Authority as a name, which is actually a pretty cool name, but I don't know if they actually have an official tag team name yet. So we'll call them uh, the Certified Gs. They actually uh, did not job them out like they have inexplicably in the past. They've done way too many jobs, I think. And they even debuted a new tag team finish where Enzo delivers... It was kind of like an inverted atomic drop, and he holds the guy, and then Big Cass comes and just knocks his block off with a big boot to the face. And as they're making their exit, they are attacked from behind by the Ascension, who also dispose of who and cares. So they can cut a promo in the ring on Finn Balor and Hideo Itami, letting them know they are not through with them yet. Oh, joy. Dude's been on the roster two weeks, Balor has, and he's already got three different people calling him out. That's the sign of a star right there, my friends. This guy's going to be big. And I have to say this about the Ascension. The more I watch Bram in TNA, and I know many of you don't, but I do, and the more I watch him in TNA, the more I realize how much better the Ascension would have been had he not gotten himself fired. Some people may not know that. They may not realize that Bram was originally a member of the Ascension when they first made their debut, and you can even find some of the original vignettes that were building to their debut on YouTube, which were, which were pretty cool. And then he went and got himself arrested. He, I think he put his hands on a police officer. He got intoxicated. He, he deserved to get shit-canned. It's his own fault. But had he not been fired, had he not gotten himself into trouble, and had things proceeded as planned, uh, I might actually care about the Ascension right now. I mean, Rick Victor Rick Victor is okay. He's fine. He's, uh, he's okay. But Bram is, is so much better than him, and... 
just he, just his intensity. You know, he's a bigger guy, which fits the gimmick. I feel like they're positioning these guys as a modern-day incarnation of the Road Warriors, which they are definitely not. But I guess it's the closest thing they have to a Road Warriors-type tag team right now. And so I think Bram just being a bigger guy would help, and the intensity that he has. It's just something that I think this, this team is lacking right now. It looks like they're out there playing a role and, and trying too hard, and their promos are terrible. I think also in the promo department, if you just let Bram talk, I, I just think the act would be so much stronger than it is right now. And I think he would have been the breakout star of that team. As happens a lot with tag teams, when they make it to the main roster and they're around for a while, at some point they split, and one guy... It's, it's the whole Shawn michaels Janetti deal, where one guy either doesn't make it, or he's he's okay, he has a nice little career for himself, but the other guy ends up becoming a big star. I mean, some of the biggest stars in the history of wrestling, in the history of WWE, started out as part of a tag team. Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels are the top two names that come to mind when I think of that. And I think Bram probably would have been the breakout star of that group, so it's just, it's a shame. It's a shame that uh, it didn't work out. And the show ended with a Sami Zayn promo, an awesome Sami Zayn promo in the ring. Uh, it's just impossible to hate this guy. He is such a great babyface. And he's just down in the dumps and says, you know, if I if I can't beat Adrian Neville, if we have a rematch and I can't beat Adrian Neville, I'm done. I will leave NXT. I don't deserve to be here anymore. And Neville came out and he was playing the straight babyface here and he tried to tell him, look, anytime you want a rematch, Sammy, you got it. And I don't want to see you, but here's what I loved about this. And I don't know if this was, I assume it was intentional. But it was such a great, subtle, heel, condescending dick move on on Neville's part. He says, listen, I will give you a rematch, no problem. But I don't want, you don't have to put your career on the line. I don't want to see, I don't want to see you leave NXT. But he said it in such a way where it's like, you're going to lose. You can't win the big one. You can't beat me. And so, Sammy, I don't want to see you lose your job. But the way he said it, it was so, it was subtle, but it was awesome. I mean, I, I'm loving the Adrian Neville character right now. It's the little things about the character that I like uh, and, and have turned him in from a very vanilla character into a character that's actually kind of fun to watch. And that's the same thing that's happened with Tyson Kidd, too. I mean, these guys on NXT have been given a chance to go out there, whether it's their own little tweaks to the character or this is how they're, they're scripting them and writing them. Tyson Kidd went from being just another guy on the roster who could wrestle pretty good, but overall a very boring vanilla personality to one of my favorite personalities in the entire company. I mean, forget NXT, the entire company. Tyson Kidd is one of my favorites right now. And Adrian Neville, I could see them making little subtle tweaks, and maybe it just has to do with going from babyface to heel. Maybe that's maybe that's the ticket. Tyson Kidd was a babyface for so long, he turned heel, and... They let him loose, and, and he's been able to make these changes to his character. Adrian Neville's been a babyface, I think, his entire run. And now they're kind of pushing him the other way, and it just makes for a much more compelling character, I think. Anyway, William Regal came out. He made it official. He said, the two of you are going to have a rematch for the NXT Championship. It will take place December 11th at our live special. And I guess the stipulation stands. Sammy was adamant that if I can't beat you, I'm out of here. And he walked out, and that's how they went off the air. So, a pretty powerful angle to close the show. It's all riding on the line in this match now. And before you say that it kind of telegraphs the finish, obviously Sammy's going to win. First of all, I think everybody pretty much thought that Sammy was going to win the big one on the live special. And I still I still feel that way. But, 
to me, it's not a foregone conclusion that he's going to walk away with the championship. I could see him losing and then maybe getting called up to the main roster. I could see Kevin Steen. We talked about him before. He, We know he's debuting on the show. We don't know what he's doing. He's got no announced match. We just know he's going to be there. Obviously, he's going to make a big impact in some way, shape, or form. I don't think they're going to put him in there with CJ Parker and kill him, and that's the end of it. So what do they have up their sleeves with Steen? I mean, we know the history between Zayn and Steen. We know that they know a lot of the fans that go to the NXT arena are the hardcores. They are familiar with these guys' backgrounds on the independent scene and would not be surprised to see them try to tap into that a little bit and maybe start something right off the bat on day one between Steen and Zayn. And I, I don't see an alliance so much as I would see Kevin Steen potentially either costing him the match, which would set him up as a heel right off the bat, and would give us a Kevin Steen... Sami Zayn feud, which I am perfectly fine with, or maybe they save it for after the match. He does win the big one. He does become the NXT champion, and then Steen comes out either to stare him down or to attack him, or who knows? I mean, we can we can fantasy book all day long. That's what's so fun about it. Uh, very very uh, excited to see what they have up their sleeves. I'm more excited for the NXT special on the 11th than I am Survivor Series tonight. And I think Survivor Series could end up being a good show, but just going in in terms of excitement, I mean, this are you kidding me? This is the, the developmental guys have uh, have Survivor Series beat by a country mile. Are you kidding me? I'm looking forward to that show more than anything else, I think, between now and the end of the year. Thank you guys for taking time out of your day to listen to the sound off. I get questions from people asking, how can I support the podcast? Well, the best way to support the show is simple. Just keep listening each and every week. Keep spreading the word about it to friends and family and retweet or share links to the episodes on Twitter and Facebook. But beyond that, you can contribute by making a PayPal donation or by signing up for a free 30-day trial of the Audible.com service. Making a PayPal donation is simple. Just log on to the Solomonster.com and you'll see the PayPal donation box on the right-hand side of the page. Enter whatever amount you'd like and click the Make a Donation button. That's it. Or sign up for a free Audible trial by entering our custom URL, audibletrial.com slash solomonster. From there, you can sign up free for 30 days, which helps us out. You get one free audiobook as part of your trial that you get to keep no matter what. You can browse through their library of over 150,000 titles. Listen to your books at home, on the commute to work, at the gym, whenever, wherever. Sign up at audibletrial.com slash solomonster or visit thesolomonster.com to make a donation right now. And thank you for supporting the sound off. Finally, TNA made it official this week. They have announced their new TV deal, and it is with Destination America, which had been the rumored destination, pun intended, for the last uh, week or two. Discovery, which owns Destination America, has secured the exclusive rights to broadcast what they call in the press release Professional Wrestling's Top League, TNA Impact Wrestling. Starting in January, they did not give a start date, so we don't know if they're sticking with Wednesdays or not. I'm guessing it'll stay on Wednesdays, but we don't know for sure. It's a multi-year deal, so it should keep TNA alive for at least another two years. No financial terms were disclosed, obviously, but I can't imagine they're getting as much money from them as they were getting from Spike. I mean, there's just no way. The partnership includes additional TNA series and specials. They don't indicate what those might be, but... There may be more weekly shows beyond just Impact. In fact, I think it's a guarantee that there will be. Unfortunately, if you are a Canadian fan of Impact, the move means that you are out of luck. They will not be airing Impact in January up in Canada because of this new deal. However, they are working on a new deal, Dixie Carter said, to keep Impact on there. 
I guess, on a different station. Uh, they're working on it. Hopefully they're not working on it the way that WWE is working on a deal to bring the network to the UK. Otherwise, you guys may be waiting for a while. So our Canadian friends will be without impact for at least a little while. Now, here's the deal with Destination America. Okay, now that it's a done deal, it's, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. They may be available in more homes than Ring of Honor, but Ring of Honor airs on key affiliate stations. Okay, so think of Superstars or Wrestling Challenge back in the day, like where I live here in New York, it was on the local Fox affiliate. So it was Channel 5. You put your TV on, it was one of the main stations. It could be the local ABC affiliate in your market. It, it, it depends on where you live. You could argue that this puts ROH on the same plane with TNA, maybe even makes them the de facto number two promotion in the country. Uh, or maybe it's Lucha Underground. You know, they're gaining ground. Their debut show on El Rey only did like 20,000 viewers, which sounds awful, although you have to, everything's relative. So El Rey is, it's a new network. They don't have as big of an audience as a Spike or a USA or even a Destination America, I'm guessing. But I read, I, I want to say it was in the Observer uh, this week, that the Unimas ratings for... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Lucha Underground, which airs a Spanish-language version of the show on Saturdays, they did over 100,000 viewers for the debut episode. And then the second week... For episode number two, they did 250,000 viewers. That's huge growth. So really, I think it's anyone's game right now as far as who the number two is. Now, whoever the number two is, it's a very, 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 very distant number two. But the battle for number two, I think, you could argue, is wide open. I mean, I, I have Destination America on my cable provider here in New York. I still don't have Ring of Honor television. So for me... TNA is still number two. Plus, it airs in primetime, whereas ROH, I, I don't think, does in many markets. But that may not be the case with all of you. Maybe it does for some of you guys. On the one hand, it's sad to see TNA take a step back with this deal because you can't tell me they're stronger now than they were five years ago. You know, you, you hear that question a lot on job interviews. You know, when I used to go on job interviews, I, I can't tell you how many times I heard that question. Where do you see yourself in five years? And it's such a, a, a bullshit question. I mean, what kind of answer are you supposed to even give? Well, I hope I'm breathing, number one. And number two, I hope I'm making a shit ton of money and I'm living in a fucking mansion somewhere. That's the real answer, but you can't say that. You gotta be diplomatic about it. Then don't ask me the question. It, it's such a stupid question, but you, you hear it a lot. Where do you see yourself in five years? And it's sad to think that five years ago, if you would have asked TNA that same question... 
I don't think they would have expected that they would be in a weaker state now than they were back then. And and that's what makes it so sad. Are they as strong as they were then? They're not, no. On the other hand, the deal keeps them alive. TNA will live to see another day. I don't want to see TNA die. I feel like I'm one of the few people left reviewing the show on a weekly basis. That's my choice. If I wanted to end the Impact review for good, I would do it. And I, I may lose some listeners, maybe, but not a drastic number, a, a fraction of the audience. I do it because I want to. So I hope in the long run, things work out for them. They'll get more programming out of it. That's great. But they need to grow their existing audience before adding more programming. And they're not going to start out with the same audience they had on Spike. I don't know if it'll be half, more than half. Maybe they'll only lose two, two or 300,000 viewers if they're lucky. We just don't know. But they're going to have to first build that audience back up before they could even think about adding new viewers. That's not going to be easy. I mean, 12 years later, I think TNA realizes that it's not going to be easy to add new audience, or else they would have done it by now. They would have done it with Hulk Hogan and Sting and Ric Flair and Kurt Angle and Mick Foley and Booker T and Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner and all the big names mixed together with the younger talent like a Joe, like an AJ Styles, like Bobby Roode and Austin Aries. The talent was never really the issue. And they had some of the biggest names in the history of the business, and it did nothing for them. It did nothing for them in the long run. But I made this comment on the podcast a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again now. They have their new TV deal. They may tape TV as early as next month to air in January. They need to lock themselves in a room for a day and map out what they want the future of this company to be over the next 6 to 12 months. And I'm not just talking creative, I'm talking everything. How they approach things, live events, talents they may want to sign, advertising and promotion, which has always been a weak point for them. They may already be doing that, I hope they are. I hope they are, because this is a chance to start fresh. I already heard that they're going to be changing the whole look of impact. Logos, graphics, colors. Great, but that has to be part of a larger plan, because guess what? Changing the colors of Impact from blue to red and changing the logo all by itself is not going to do shit. It's got to be part of something bigger than that. You want to change the music and the logos? Fine. Freshen things up. I wish they would do that on Raw. That's all they do when they freshen things up. They change the music and they change the graphics. The fucking set still looks the same. The basic look of the show still looks the same. And that's why that show is so stale. So so that's what they need to do. I don't expect them to reset all of their storylines or anything like that, but it's a fresh start on a new network, and it has to have a fresh feel to it. And that doesn't involve bringing Dixie Carter back to television. That's the worst thing they could possibly do. But I have to say this. Dixie Carter was telling her people that this new deal is great because TNA will now be the focal point of the network. And that may well be true. I mean, there probably isn't much else on Destination America, I think they're probably in the clear. Yes, I think it's safe to say that TNA will be their their crown jewel. But that's like being in a room with 300 people and then walking into another room that only has 30 people and saying, hey, now I'm the focal point. Yeah, but you only have 30 people in the room. And whatever they may say publicly, supposedly they never felt they got the full support they really needed from Spike, uh, be it in the form of advertising or whatever... I hope that's not how they really feel. I hope that's just a rumor because 
it's nonsense, and I don't want to hear it. I mean, it's just another excuse for them to use as far as why they've never grown their brand. Spike TV gave them two hours of primetime television on their network when nobody else would. They moved them to Monday nights live to go head-to-head with Raw. They sent Hulk Hogan to a UFC show to talk to Joe Rogan to promote it, and they took out giant billboards in some major cities. I think they even took one out in Stanford, down the road from WWE headquarters. I remember seeing the the big billboards here in New York. Spike reportedly has helped pay for at least a portion of some of the big contracts for guys like Hogan and Sting over the years to keep them with TNA. So I don't want to hear that Spike didn't help TNA and they didn't promote TNA. Spike was more than generous to them. And they got booted off the network because of their own failures. So they need to own up to those failures and learn from them. I don't want to hear this nonsense about, well, we never got the full support that we deserved. I don't want to hear it. So this was the final first-run episode of Impact on Spike TV ever. They are off next week, back on December 3rd, for the first of what should be four, I believe, best-of shows, airing clips from throughout the year 2014. Spike TV president Kevin Kay put a statement out after the Destination America news came out saying that their run will come to an end on the December 24th broadcast. So that is the final, final date of Impact on Spike officially is Christmas Eve. Show opened this week with a Bobby Roode promo. Talked about Lashley who came out. They ended up with a pull-apart brawl, spilled into the crowd before officials broke it up. So they're uh, setting up for the eventual rematch between Lashley and Rude. We had Taryn Terrell, Gail Kim, and Havoc in a three-way for the Knockouts Championship. Taryn Terrell winning her first Knockouts title. She pinned Gail Kim with a cradle. It was actually kind of like, um, like a sunset flip cradle, only without the flip, if that makes sense. Gail had Taryn pinned with the move, but Taryn reversed it, and she got the three. I like this match. I, I thought it was a good match. Havoc was, was fine. Gail is always great. Taryn was good, too. So, Havoc's reign is over, not long after it started, probably for the better, unless they sign everybody to new deals now that they have their new TV contract and they just put the belt right back on her. Uh, I think that may have been why they took it off her in the first place, because she wasn't locked into a contract, and they weren't re-signing anybody to new deals at that time. Uh, It was like a hiring freeze, and so they wanted to make sure the belt, I guess, was on somebody who was under a long-term contract and not a a per-appearance deal. So we'll see. But I enjoyed this. Good for Taryn, too. I mean, she seemed genuinely happy when the match was over. There's something about, like, Taryn Terrell, when I watch her matches, she hasn't looked as good. Like, she had those two really great matches with Gail Kim last year, and it makes you wonder if it was just a matter of Gail Kim being so great and not Taryn Terrell being all that good. But she's in there, and she tries, and she's not bad at all. And she's, you know, got that that smile where she just seems happy to be here, and I don't know, there's something very likable about her. Actually, there's a lot of things likable about Taryn Terrell, some more obvious than others, but she, I know I like her, and uh, I was happy for her when this match was over. Sergeant Chris Melendez beat Kenny King by DQ when MVP ran in with his new bad attitude, and he attacked Melendez and his good leg with a steel chair. Later on backstage, MVP attacked Kurt Angle from behind, so he's just beating everybody up. And the announcers tried to play it up as like a big deal. Oh, he's the executive director. You can't do that. The problem is, how many times over the years have we seen authority figures attacked on a wrestling show? A gazillion times. It's passe. Nobody cares. We had a segment in the ring with EC3 and Tyrus as his uh, backup. Called that Rockstar Spud. 
And he challenged Spud to hit him. He's like, hit me, Spud, hit me. And finally, Rockstar Spud went after him. It was a big brawl. He actually ended up busting EC3 open hard way. It looked great because the blood was trickling down his forehead straight down, like over the bridge of his nose. It was a great visual. Uh, Spud was left for dead by Tyrus in the end, and then EC3 cut off part of Rockstar Spud's hair. Uh, I think EC3 just had surgery for that torn bicep, so there will not be any matches with EC3 and Rockstar Spud for a while if they want to keep this storyline going. Bram beat Tommy Dreamer in a hardcore match. Surprise, surprise. It was a long match, too. They gave them almost 15 minutes. Both guys juiced, so if you're a fan of blood, this was the match for you. Magnus ran in to interfere, and Al Snow made the save to run him off. Al Snow is looking jacked these days, by the way. Dude's 50 years old, and he is, he's as big as I've ever seen him. Go take a look at his Instagram photo. I didn't even know that Al Snow had an Instagram page. But I saw a photo, I'm like, this this has got to be photoshopped. I mean, he, he looks so swelled up. And I went and I found his Instagram, and all he has on there are workout photos and... No, he's 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 in the gym and he's working out. I think he's doing some kind of competition, maybe with like David Hero or something's going on, and it's motivated him. And he is just enormous in a good way, but enormous. It just looks like a different person. So anyway, it was back to one on one. Bram won with Dreamer's own move, the Impaler DDT. Like I said earlier in the NXT review, in case you skipped over it, it sucks that. Bram got himself fired from WWE because he would have been so much better than Rick Victor is right now as part of the Ascension. And he wouldn't have to be cutting himself up with barbed wire and thumbtacks every week either. With Samoa Joe vacating the X Division title last week due to injury, the final match of the Spike TV era was a four-way to crown a new X Division champion. Low-key, DJ Zima, Tigre Uno, and Manic. They would have been better off shaving five minutes off the Dreamer match, I think, and giving it to these guys, since these guys only got about five minutes. But those five minutes, what they you know, tried to do, they packed it in there, and it was quite great. There was a spot in this match that I loved. I loved this spot. Very creative, where Tigre Uno had DJ Z, I think, in a, uh, a Mexican surfboard. And as he's got him in the hold, okay, and, and uh, DJ Z is up in the air, he's in pain... Manic crawls under DJZ and on top of Tigre Uno for the pin. Only the pin got broken up by Loki, who comes off the top rope with a foot stomp onto DJZ, who's still up in the air, trapped in the surfboard. I've never seen that before. I'm sure the spot's been done, maybe in Lucha Libre. I've never seen it before, and I just thought that was really cool. It's hard to come up with innovative spots in these kind of matches when you see the same stuff over and over and over again. But I give them a lot of credit. I thought that was very clever. Low-key one with the key crusher to Tigre Uno off the top rope. So he is the new X-Division champion. He was crying when the match was over. So a lot of emotion from our new champions on this show. As it should be. Winning a championship should be an important thing. Final segment of the Spike era was a talking segment. Kurt Angle and MVP were in the ring. MVP said that Kurt was snitching him out to the board of directors because Kurt had threatened to go to the board probably figuring that Angle was trying to get him fired. Kurt then acknowledged, you know, what I'm about to do is probably not a good idea. I'll probably get in trouble for it, but what the hell. And he attacked MVP. Kenny King attacked Kurt Angle, making it two-on-one until Mr. Anderson ran down to attack Kenny King. Lashley ran down, gave Anderson a low blow. This brought out Bobby Roode, and he and Lashley went at it again. Mike Tanay talked about their rematch, although they never announced when the rematch would take place. 
I think the first show on Destination America in January would make sense if Spike will let him promote it on the last few Impact shows next month. Otherwise, I think it would probably be a bad idea. You want to have at least a week to hype it up and promote a a championship match. So let's say they can't do that. If Spike doesn't allow them to say anything about that, maybe they they hold it off until week two uh, on Destination America. But I would think that would be... At this point, that that would be as big of a draw as they can have, is putting a world championship match in their first main event, I would think. And that's it. So ends the Spike era of Impact Wrestling. Again, there's more clip shows, but in terms of first-run shows, that was the final one, so the end of an era. Let's talk Lucha Underground here. Episode 4 aired this week. I'm still loving Lucha Underground. I ain't tired of it yet. I think a lot of you guys feel the same way. Uh, They had an opening video recapping recent events that have taken place and what Chavo has done on the show, beating everybody up with a steel chair. So they show the video, they come back to the crowd, they show a crowd shot inside the temple, they had a DJ spinning music, everybody was having a blast. It looked like a fun place to be, I wanted to be there watching this. Sexy Star came out, she cut a promo on Chavo Guerrero for hitting her in the head with a chair two weeks ago and for attacking Blue Demon and Mascarita Sagrada. She threatened to kick his ass. Ivelisse came out for their match. She cut a promo of her own, calling herself the baddest bitch in the building, and then she got slapped hard in the face. My God, what a slap. Shit was on at that point. They had a good match, real good match. I uh, really enjoyed this. Sexy star won with the cradle. I am still befuddled that WWE and TNA both passed on Ivelisse. I just don't get it. Dario Cueto backstage finds Drago who has a totally badass look. He also has this black slime that will ooze out of his mouth. I wouldn't want to be standing five inches in front of the guy while having a conversation with him, but I think that's pretty badass. Cueto said that in last week's main event three-way, Drago didn't lose, but he didn't win either. And so tonight, his challenge is the debuting King Cuerno. Uh, I love the production values of this show, especially the backstage stuff. I know one is live and the other is carefully produced, but still, to me... WWE and Lucha Underground, this makes WWE's production values look amateur by comparison. Pentagon Jr. in ring for a promo before his match with Phoenix, talking about how his family gets no respect in Mexico, but he is grateful to Dario Cueto for giving him the respect that he deserves. The match was awesome. Phoenix is uh, an amazing performer. Find it online. I think it's just absolutely worth going out of your way to watch. Uh, The most impressive thing to me came at the very end. Phoenix was up on the top rope. He was going to deliver a top rope Spanish fly to Pentagon. And it looked like he wasn't ready for it. Like Phoenix wasn't ready to do the move. And he was already starting to fall backwards off the top rope with this guy in his clutches. Maybe Pentagon went uh, before he was ready. and Whatever the case may be, somehow... He got full rotation anyway on the move and nailed it perfectly. (laughs) The guy is amazing. Phoenix is amazing. Drago and the debuting King Cuerno. Brian Blade won't be happy about this. Cuerno came to the ring wearing a deer head as a crown and deer skin as a cape. It looked really goofy seeing him with this deer head, complete with antlers on top of his head. Uh, The power of the deer was not enough for King Cuerno, though, as Drago pinned him with a cradle. It's an okay match. Main event was Big Rick and Johnny Mundo, the battle of the former ECW champions. I wonder how many people picked up on that. 
Not a great match. Probably the weakest main event. Actually, easily the weakest main event they've had to date. Uh, at one point during the match, Big Rick had Johnny Mundo in a chin lock uh, or something, some similar move. And Matt Stryker had the line. I wrote it down. Johnny trying to use his right hand to alleviate some of the pressure. I laughed because I'm still 12 years old, apparently. Backstage, we see Castro and Cisco, Cueto's thugs, ganging up on Prince Puma, who Conan had earlier said, stay away from Johnny Mundo, don't go near him, don't help him, don't be his friend, and uh, just stay away, he's trouble. So Puma gets taken out, Castro and Cisco then head to the ring to interfere for the DQ. Before Johnny Mundo can put away Big Rick, they pull out a table from underneath the ring, and Big Rick puts Mundo through the table with a rock bottom to end the show. So like I said, probably the weakest main event that we've seen on, on Lucha Underground so far. Uh, but it was you know fine for what it was supposed to be. They're building whatever the story is involving Johnny Mundo and Prince Puma and Dario Cueto and Big Rick and Cisco and Castro are his thugs. And so they don't have to be the greatest wrestlers in the world. That's not what they're there for. They're there to just beat people up. Although watching this match, it was very apparent that Big Rick is just not very good. <laughs> Maybe that's... Maybe that has something to do with why he, he's not in WWE anymore. He's just not very good. He's got a presence about him, though. I think if he just kind of stood there, smoking a stogie as somebody's bodyguard, maybe as Queto's bodyguard, which he could probably use after what happened last week when John Morrison just barged into his office and threatened him, I think that would be the perfect role for him. Kind of like Tyrus now in TNA, right? Brodus Clay. He's not a very good wrestler at all, but what he's doing for the most part in TNA, he just kind of stands there in the background with his arms crossed, behind EC3, and he looks like a badass. That used to be what he did before he came to WWE. He used to be a bodyguard for Snoop Dogg. That's the perfect role for a guy like that. So maybe they'll uh, use him that way more going forward. But I still thought overall this was a very good episode. I am still very much enjoying Lucha Underground. I enjoy the production values. I enjoy... uh, I'm learning about the characters, and they got some really, really great wrestlers on the show. And so you take all of those ingredients, you put them together... You have an authority figure, yes, it's kind of played out, yes, but I think he is easily, easily the best authority figure in wrestling right now. And I think Stephanie McMahon is awesome as a heel, I think she's she's fantastic in her role, but I just think in terms of an, an authority figure, heel or otherwise, in any wrestling promotion now, and maybe in, in years, I am really digging Queto's character, I just think... You know, he's an actor. He's a trained actor. So obviously, you would expect that he would be very good in the scenes that he's in. And he is. And uh, he's one of the reasons why I enjoy the show so much. Time for the mailbag. If you have questions, you can email them to me, thesolomonster, at gmail.com. We have two audio questions to start with here. And always, please remember, no matter what kind of question you send in, please include your name and where you are from. This audio question comes from Wes out of Fort Lewis, Washington. Hey, Solo Monster. I've been uh, listening to your show for like two years now. It got me through a deployment, and I really appreciate what you do. Um, anyways, Lucha Underground is a great show as well as a good wrestling event. In addition to possible pay-per-views in the future, what other things could you say would help the product gain more exposure to possibly provide you know, that marketable alternative to what WWE and TNA offers? Appreciate it. I think in terms of, of what they could do to really break out and, and build their audience and make them unique from WWE and TNA, the, the key is, first of all, just keep putting out the product that you're putting out. You know, They obviously have their storyline set. Uh, they've got, I think it was like a 39-week run that the show is set for. So uh, they've got plenty of time to build these stories, to build these characters, keep 
you know, explaining to us who these people are. Keep doing the personality profiles, however goofy they may sometimes be, like the stuff with uh, Mil Muertes and the earthquake. I, I appreciated what they did there because we have a reason to care about the guy and we know what makes him tick. We know why he is the way he is. Keep doing that because that's something WWE and TNA do not do enough of. Uh, they just don't. And I don't know why they don't. It would be very easy for them to do so. And more often than not, they're lacking in that department. So keep filling the gaps where WWE and TNA are leaving gaping holes. You you can fill in those gaps by giving us what they're not. And that will go a long way to, I think, keeping Lucha Underground as this true alternative to WWE and TNA. Plus the way it's shot, just their whole approach to the show is just very different. That's good. That's a good thing. So just keep doing that. I think the key is going to be advertising and promotion. I mean, you're on El Rey. El Rey is not a network that is watched yet by very many people. So anything that you can do, if you've got the full support of El Rey behind you, and and Robert Rodriguez, I mean, they got some heavy hitters behind this thing. If you really want to get the word out there, you've got to do it through marketing and advertising and promotion. Whatever form that may take, whether it's billboards, whether it's online ads, print ads, trying to get some of these guys out there maybe on on the talk show circuit, even if it's just Spanish language shows. Anything that you can do to make it more mainstream. I know the word underground is in the name of the, the promotion. It's supposed to be an underground promotion. But the only way you're ever going to grow the audience is if more people know about it. And I feel like there probably are a lot of wrestling fans out there who don't know about it who might give it a shot. And also, it may appeal to people who aren't wrestling fans right now, because they, they know what WWE is. They could put USA on any time on a Monday night and see the shit that they're, you know, spoon-feeding us. And they don't like it because they don't watch it, but maybe if they watch Lucha Underground, it's it's different enough where they might look at it and go, wow, it's shot like a movie, and it's it's just so different. It feels different, and it feels kind of gritty, and I like that, and... You're only going to be able to do that by making people aware of it. And like like I said, advertising and promotion is key. It's one of the things that's been a death knell in a lot of ways for TNA. And Lucha Underground can't fall into that same trap. And they don't have that excuse of, well, we don't have the money. It looks like they've got the money behind it where they could they could definitely be promoting it the way it should be promoted. The other thing they could do... And this this may not necessarily differentiate them from WWE and TNA. This might kind of go in the opposite direction. But I do think it's important that they bring in a few key names. And it sounds like they're going to do that in 2015. It sounds like Alberto Del Rio is all but in. They've already dropped some references to him as El Patron, the boss, right, on the show. So I think it's a, it's a given that he's on his way in. And he'll he'll probably thrive in that environment. I think he'll be really over. He could be one of the top stars there. Rey Mysterio, I think there's also a pretty good chance he may end up in Lucha Underground later in 2015. And to the people who would say, well, he's old and he's washed up and he's injury prone, so why would Rey going to Lucha Underground mean anything? Whether Rey is wrestling every week or not, and I would not have him wrestling every single week. I would have him wrestle special matches every now and then against some of the other Lucha guys and maybe a John Morrison, maybe a Del Rio. But he could be such a great ambassador for that brand because Ray is still beloved by a lot of fans. He's got a lot of fans out there. He sells merchandise. So I don't know what Lucha Underground's plans are going forward, for example, in terms of merchandise or putting out some kind of DVD releases. Those are other things that they also need to look into because that could be a revenue stream for them. 
as we get to learn more about these characters, like Sexy Star, you know, you probably have a lot of fans out there, female fans, who would love to wear a Sexy Star shirt, or who become big fans of Prince Puma. You know, the merchandise possibilities with a guy like that or a, or a Morrison are endless. And you bring in a guy like Rey Mysterio, you could absolutely make a ton of money off him by putting out Rey Mysterio merchandise. He could be the guy that you send out there to be interviewed in the media to talk about what a great brand this is. I came from WWE. I came from the biggest company in the world because I didn't want to be there anymore. I wanted to be here. Lucha Underground is where it's at. And that's where having a guy like a Del Rio and a Rey Mysterio becomes so important. They have to bring in some big names like that. Not Don't saturate the promotion with ex-WWE guys, but bring in a few names that might help move the needle a little bit and will give some credibility and legitimacy to the promotion where if a casual fan stumbles upon it, they see a Rey Mysterio, they know who he is, all of a sudden they put the remote down, they watch some of this, and they're blown away by the next match between Phoenix and Prince Puma, right? That's where it becomes so important to have those guys in the fold. So I think if they do a combination of those things, and if the guys behind the show, the backers are committed to it, even if the ratings are on the small side, hopefully they give it time to grow. And they don't pull the plug, and the network you know, decides to pull the plug. I don't think that's going to happen. It sounds like the people who are behind this project are behind it for the long haul. And I hope they are, because it's going to take time. But those are the things that they need to do, I think, in 2015 that will help get them to that next level. This next audio question comes to us from Eric Cormier. How's it going, Solomonster? This is your podbean.com brother, Eric Cormier, one half of the Beanholes podcast. I've been a longtime listener, supporter. I'm wearing my Eat, Sleep, Sound Off, Repeat t-shirt right now, but this is the first time I'm asking you a question. For me as a fan, 2011 was an exciting year. With the return of The Rock and the rise of CM Punk and Zack Ryder, as a fan, it felt important to watch every week and to get involved with these things. On Zack Ryder's case, the man got clearly over with the fans because of his internet show, started making products on the wwe shop for a time it actually was really popular and even mattel working as their own company started making more zack Ryder products i mean the guy got a brawling buddy for christ's sake and the other brawling buddies were john cena the rock and randy orton he was up there why would the company want to throw away any extra money they had i understand the idea that they want to create their superstars but what in their head could possibly get in the way of even making a little bit of extra money spite (laughs) They're a spiteful company. I mean, you said it yourself. If they didn't create it, then they're never going to put their full backing behind it. It's got to be a a WWE idea. It's why they haven't used the War Games match, I'm sure, you know, for for many, many years, even though it's probably been pitched to Vince and we've never gotten it. Why? Well, it wasn't a WWE creation. We don't need it. We can do bigger and better than that. A guy like a Zack Ryder, believe me, he was never going to get a big push. He made his push happen. He made it happen on his own. They had no choice but to run with it a little bit because the the fan support was just overwhelming. So he got a U.S. title run out of it, and he sold some merchandise. And then after a while, when the fan support started to die down because he was getting his ass kicked on television every week, and then the stuff with John Cena, and he ended up in a body cast, I don't know that that was done on purpose to kill his crowd reactions. You know what? Maybe it was. It, It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, that they wanted to bring the fans down a few notches, they never looked at him as being anybody that they can really make money off of, like significant money. And so why were we going to waste our time with this guy? We have a finite amount of television every single week to dedicate to our roster and to the guys who we think we can do something with. 
Which is comical. I mean, even back when the show was two hours, it's not like they didn't have the time to push Zack Ryder as something, you know, something meaningful as a mid-card performer. I never, ever saw Zack Ryder as a main event guy. With or without that gimmick. Some guys are not main event caliber. And and I'm sorry, Zack Ryder is not a main event guy. I never expected him to be a main event guy. But could they have gone further with him? Of course. Why wouldn't they? Well, like I said, spite. It's the only logical explanation for it. And it's not like we, we haven't heard stories before about how spiteful people in that company can be. And the politics and everything else. And maybe through his YouTube videos and his tweets and complaints, maybe he pissed off the wrong person. And sometimes that's all it takes. You piss off the wrong person. It doesn't even have to be Vince. It could be one of his, his trusted soldiers. It could be an agent. It could be Michael Hayes. It could be Triple H. It could be anybody. And once you're on the shit list or in the doghouse, that's not a good place to be. So even if they can make some money off you, unless it's like an unbelievable amount of money that we absolutely, we can't turn down this money. We have to, we have to push this guy. We absolutely cannot turn down the money that USA is giving us for that third hour of Raw, even though I bet you they would love to get rid of that third hour of Raw. But they do it because USA makes it worth their while. Whatever money they would have made off Zack Ryder, I guess, wasn't worth their while. And to them, it just wasn't worth it. Do I agree with that? Of course not. I think it's stupid. I think there was so much more juice you could have gotten out of that guy before you discarded him. But that's how they do things. This comes from Charlie... The 1991 edition of the Survivor Series featured the first non-elimination match in the history of the event. Uh, I assume he's referring to Hulk Hogan and The Undertaker. After that, the traditional elimination match was only half the show with one to three matches. How did you feel about that change back then, and how do you feel about it now? Also, how did you feel about the 1998 and 2002 editions, which featured no elimination tag team matches, only the WWE Championship Tournament, and the first ever Elimination Chamber match, respectively? I hated it when they first did that because they betrayed the whole concept of what the Survivor Series was. That was part of the whole name of the show. You had to strive to survive. That was the tagline back in the day. So the 1991 show had the one match, but you know what? That didn't bother me because it was still mostly elimination matches. 1992 is where they all but did away with the Survivor Series matches, and it was just straight up and down the card. Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels, Undertaker against Kamala. Boss Man and Nails. They had a regular tag team match with Savage and Perfect against Flair and Ramon. It's funny, now when I go back and watch that show on the network, it's not a bad show. It's actually a... I don't know if it's... I wouldn't call it my favorite, but... I'm actually a, a, a fan of the 1992 show now. Uh, not so much back then. I was not happy when they did away with the elimination concept. Uh, as far as now... I see things for how they are, and the world is different, wrestling is different, pay-per-view is different, now with the network especially. You can't just have one pay-per-view full of nothing but elimination matches. You just can't do that. You can't do it. It's bad business. And part of that is just the way things develop through the Monday Night War until it is now. We get tag team matches for free every single week, elimination or not, doesn't matter. How many fucking six-man tag team matches do we see? How many eight-man tag team matches do we see? What's so special about doing the Survivor Series up and down the card, nothing but elimination matches? Doesn't make sense. Not if you want to make money off the show. They're in the business of making money. You want as many people as possible to watch that show. That concept just doesn't have an appeal. You can do one match like they are this year and really build it up. I like that. I don't want to see them do away with it altogether. But I, I hated it back then. Now I accept it and I understand it. And I probably would do the same thing. 
And as far as 1998 and 2002, I like the uh, tournament concept in 98, although mo- most of the matches were a complete waste. You know, two, three-minute throwaway matches. But the Deadly Game Tournament, I liked it. I liked the, the, the concept of it, and they had some big names in there. Not really a fan of the screwjob finish they did, but I guess that was the uh, the year after Montreal. That was the first time they decided to go back and revisit that finish. Little did we know we would see that same fucking finish 25 other times over the years. Maybe back then it wasn't so bad. 2002, I could have sworn they did have at least one Survivor Series elimination match on that show that involved, and it might have involved the Dudley Boys. I think there was a Survivor Series match. I could be completely wrong, though. But that was another show. You know, the, the main matches, anyway. One was uh, Brock and Big Show for the championship. The other was the first Elimination Chamber. I, um, I don't know. Going into it, I can't say I was overly excited. I think I saw the Elimination Chamber like a lot of people did as a poor man's war games. And was hoping they would try the two rings with the cage over it. And so that was kind of disappointing. When I saw the match itself, it was actually pretty cool. I think I enjoyed it for what it was. And it was a a fun moment. You know, Shawn Michaels gets one more world title. Big celebration with the confetti and everything in Madison Square Garden. I'm I'm sorry I wasn't there in the building. But, you know, I I thought that show was another strong show. I thought Brock and Big Show, the, the sight of Brock picking Big Show up on his shoulders, which we've seen a million times since. But back then, when I mean, when he did that, it was like, whoa. Like, that was uh, an amazing feat of strength, all-time highlight reel type shit. And they did the turn with Heyman, and Brock suffered his first loss, which which was kind of shitty. I'm trying to think of... Um, oh, well, Scott Steiner debuted on that show. Yeah, yeah. Scott Steiner debuted, and he wanted a fucking mic, I believe were his words. So that was a memorable show. I, I, I enjoyed it. Vinny from New Jersey. I recently watched SummerSlam 1990. I haven't seen it since I was a kid and was eagerly looking forward to the Intercontinental title match between the Texas Tornado and Mr. Perfect and found myself thoroughly disappointed with the with Von Erich's performance. Since then, I have been able to watch several of his other matches and usually find myself extremely bored. I know he had a lot of personal demons that eventually got the better of him, but I was wondering if you could comment on Kerry Von Erich. Specifically, your thoughts on his in-ring ability. Also, when he first came in, he was pushed to the moon right out of the gate, given the Intercontinental title within his first month, and it looked like they had big plans for him before he dropped the title back to perfect and then became basically a glorified jobber. What was the reason for this big push so soon, and what caused them to lose faith in him so quickly? Here's my take, and this may not be a popular opinion with old-school, world-class fans, but I think Kerry Von Erich is overrated as a performer, okay? Just one fan's opinion. He was good when he wasn't drugged up out of his gourd, which was often, and before he lost the foot. But I've never watched a Kerry Von Erich match unless he was in there with a Ric Flair or a Terry Gordy, who were awesome workers. I've never watched a Kerry Von Erich match and thought he was anything really special. You know, the Von Erich family were like gods down there in Texas, He was pushed to the moon because of his last name and because his father ran the territory and because the Von Erich brothers were, they were heartthrobs to all the girls. You know, he was a star. The guy was a total star, no question about it. And he looked the part, but as a wrestler, I was never impressed. I never saw what the big deal was. Now, as far as why WWF lost faith in him so quickly, I would think his demons, drug problems played a big role in that. 
Uh, he also had a rep for being very unreliable, which is why... And Flair talks about this in his book. They put the NWA title on him, and he dropped it less than three weeks later, I think back to Flair. He beat Flair as a tribute to his dead brother, and then they got that sucker off him as quickly as possible. So I would think whatever was going on in his personal life had something to do with it, but also, let's not discount this. Brutus Beefcake was originally scheduled to wrestle uh, perfect for the Intercontinental title on that SummerSlam show. Then he had the parasailing accident. His face got all mangled. Okay, that was legit. I mean, he was really messed up. And I don't think he wrestled the match again until like 93. And this happened in 90. They even turned it into an angle going into WrestleMania that year in 93 with Money, Inc. They re-injured his face. He had to wear that goofy-looking mask. But, hey, he got a high-profile WrestleMania match out of it, Beefcake did. It pays to have friends in high places, brother. Anyway, Beefcake, he had already beaten Mr. Perfect at WrestleMania six that year. It's something, it annoys me to this day. Perfect had an undefeated streak going, and it ended, of all people, to Brutus the Barber Beefcake in some random mid-card match at WrestleMania. Now, in fairness, Beefcake was very over back then. The, the gimmick was very over, but still pisses me off. So, I'm almost positive that the plan was for Perfect to drop the title to Beefcake at SummerSlam, which ironically would make that twice that Beefcake was supposed to win the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam. He was scheduled to win it from the Honky Tonk Man back in 88, but got taken out of the match, and they went with Warrior instead. So what I surmise may have happened, and this is just me piecing things together now, this is in fact, but they were going to change the title anyway. And then Beefcake got hurt, and to pacify the audience and give them a title change, they went with Kerry instead, who had just debuted, Maybe they figured it would be a great way to, to debut him on pay-per-view and get him going right out of the gate. But I doubt they had any long-term plans to keep the belt on the guy. That's my guess as to what happened. They wanted a big title change on that show, but Kerry was never the guy they had in mind for it. And they got the belt off him three months later. And that's what they did. They took it off him at a Superstars taping and put the belt back on Perfect. And Kerry never did anything meaningful ever again. In WWF. In fact, I can't remember one big feud he had with anybody after that. Not one. They did nothing with him. Justin Robinson from Columbus, Ohio. I remember you saying that you were a fan of the Shield TV show and the group. So I wonder who do you see as Vic, Shane, and Lem out of Rollins, Reigns, and Ambrose? Now, if you never watched the Shield TV show on FX back in the day, you have no idea what those names mean. They have no significance to you at all. The first thing I would tell you is you must watch the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. It is awesome. It is right up there with Breaking Bad. Maybe I'd put Breaking Bad... In fact, I probably would put Breaking Bad just ahead of it as my all-time favorite TV show. But the S.H.I.E.L.D. is right up there with it. I mean, I love that freaking show. It went seven seasons. It's been off for a few years now. Find it. Watch it. I think they have the full episode, some of them anyway, on uh, Crackle that free app where you can stream TV shows and movies. So if you don't want to go out and buy the DVD sets, then download Crackle on your phone or your computer or tablet or whatever and find The Shield uh, and, and watch some of those episodes. But make sure you start from the very first episode. You have to watch from the very first episode. It's a great show. So the key characters on that show, Vic Mackey was this uh, crooked cop, I guess you would call him. He was played by Michael Chiklis who uh, used to be on a television show called The Commish many years earlier. 
He kind of updated his look, shaved his head, wore a leather jacket when he became Vic Mackey on the shield, looked like a badass. He was part of this unit called the Strike Team in a small uh, police station. It was in like a fictional city in California somewhere, like Gangbang Land, USA. And so the other people in the Strike Team were uh, Shane, was the name of one character, Shane Vendrell. We had uh, Curtis Lemansky, who they called Lem, and then Ronnie. So it was a, it was a group of four. So if you if you know who they are, you'll appreciate this answer. If I had to kind of say who the members of the WWE version of the Shield most reminded me of, I thought about this. To me, Rollins is Mackey, Ambrose is Shane, and Reigns is Lemansky. I think those characters fit better than any other combination would. I, and I thought about that because I was going to say, well, maybe. You know, maybe Ambrose is is Mackey, but no, I I think Rollins is Mackey, Ambrose is Shane, and Reigns is Lemansky. That that's what I would uh, that's what I would say. Luke from Norristown, Pennsylvania, as a dedicated fan since 2004, I've seen a lot of gross stuff happen in WWE, from Eddie Guerrero spraying crap on Big Show to Stephanie projectile vomiting on Vicky. I've been really grossed out throughout the years. As an avid dip and chewing tobacco consumer, the grossest thing I've seen was Tommy Dreamer drinking the Undertaker's tobacco spit. I've almost done that a few times myself, and watching that made me hurl. What is the grossest thing you've ever seen in wrestling? I, I, like you, have seen a lot of gross things in wrestling, mostly gross booking more than anything else. But if I had to pick one thing, I was thinking about this as well, and I don't know how many people will remember this, but there was a wrestler around 97, 98, this would have been in 98 when he turned heel in WWE, called Tiger Ali Singh. He was the son of another famous wrestler, Tiger Jeet Singh. They made a whole big deal about signing him. This kid's going to be the future, big contract, all that kind of stuff. Tiger Ali Singh never went anywhere. In fact, he ended up suing the company. But Tiger Ali Singh, when he was a heel, had an assistant called Babu. And he would have he would kind of bully Babu around and they did this deal very similar to what Ted DiBiase and Virgil were doing when DiBiase first came to WWE in the 80s where he would come out and he would call upon anyone in the crowd who wanted to make some money to come on into the ring they would have to do something really embarrassing to win like 500 bucks. And I don't know if they did this every week or if I'm just remembering the one time that they did this. But what they would do is they had, and and people did this. I don't think, I I looked on YouTube, I couldn't find the segment. I don't actually want to see the segment again, but I couldn't even find it anywhere online. But I know they did this, I didn't imagine this. They had uh, somebody come out of the crowd who wanted to make a buck. And what they had to do to make the money was get down on the mat. Babu would take off his sock, and they had this like fake toe jam between his toes. It was just gross. It was so disgusting. And they had to lick Babu's feet. They had to lick the toe jam between this guy's toes to win the money. I'm retching just sitting here thinking about this. It was just fucking disgusting. But people did it. People did it because at the end of the day, the almighty dollar rules and it was vile. To me, that is probably the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. And and there's been a lot, even people that have had to literally kiss Vince McMahon's ass in the middle of the ring, but licking the toe jam from between some dude's toes, to me, it's hard to top that. 
So I'd, I'd go with that one. So if you have questions, keep sending them on into me, the Solomonster at gmail.com. Uh, I'm, I'm backlogged. I'm still going through a lot of your questions, and hopefully we'll have a bigger mailbag next week. But I wanted to take the last uh, few minutes of this podcast here before we wrap up to sound off on one Bill Cosby and this whole media firestorm over accusations, multiple accusations from multiple women that he drugged and raped them going as far back as the 1960s. Now, I work in public relations. I've had a lot of conversations this week with my colleagues about this. It's been a a big story. And the reaction that I've been seeing online reminds me a lot of the Michael Jackson stuff. The stories about him and all those kids and the people who thought there was some vast conspiracy to besmirch the good name of Michael Jackson. You know, for God's sake, the man gave us Thriller and Billie Jean. He could do no wrong. And it's like, yes, the man was a legendary performer. Nobody is doubting his talent, but these people have a connection to the person, I think from their childhood, and they just cannot accept reality. They cannot accept even the possibility that this public figure they grew up idolizing and who they thought they knew is actually human like the rest of us and may have done some really bad things. I'm seeing the same thing now with Bill Cosby. All the defenders come out, and look, I'm not saying we should prep the guy for the electric chair, but at some point you need to accept reality. I first read about the rape allegations against this guy over a decade ago. This was not news to me. It was news to a lot of people, but not to me. I was happy to see it blow up the way that it has, because more people need to know about what this guy is accused of. I'm surprised it took some random comment by another comedian who flat out said Bill Cosby raped a bunch of women. That's what Hannibal Burris said. Now, if he's wrong and he's slandering Bill Cosby... I I mean, I guess he might be protected by claiming it was just a joke and he's a comedian, so Cosby wouldn't be able to sue him. But I would think, look, it was pretty clear to me he meant what he said. If it's not true, then I'm sure Bill Cosby is filing the lawsuit right now. Only he's not. Trust me, he's not suing anybody. And let me tell you, Cosby's silence speaks louder than any words ever could. The NPR interview where he he nodded his head no. He wouldn't even speak. He nodded his head in a radio interview when the host brought up the accusations and just answering for them. Do you have anything at all to say about it? No, just shook his head no. The AP interview that they just released where they asked him about it and he basically said, not only am I not going to answer for these accusations, I don't even want the footage of you asking me about them to ever see the light of day. Call your boss right now. Get him on the phone. This is, this is... A lack of integrity on your part. I only did the interview with the AP because I thought you people had integrity. (laughs) Like, he's one to talk. I mean, he could not have looked guiltier if he tried. If that were me, and my reputation was on the line, and his has already been destroyed. He's done. Okay, He, He may never see the inside of a jail cell, but he's done. Cosby is done. Netflix won't touch him. NBC wants nothing to do with him. They've canceled their plans for a new sitcom with the guy. He's toxic. He's finished. If my reputation was on the line and all of these women were making these false rape claims against me, I would damn sure defend myself. You wouldn't be able to shut me up. So why can't he say anything? He's sending his lawyers out to like, like attack dogs. And, and maybe they're advising him to keep quiet. But why? 
Why is it so important that he not say a single word about this? Well, for one thing, he settled the case out of court with one of the women about 10 years ago. His lawyer made a comment last week when all this shit really started to pile on and come out. His lawyer went and made a comment about how all of these claims from these women have already been discredited. Well, that didn't sit well with the woman that he settled with 10 years ago because the implication there would be that she too was lying. And so the woman's lawyers made contact with Cosby's lawyers and Cosby's people actually had to amend their statement to specifically say that, well, we weren't referring to this woman. So basically, all of these women are full of shit Except for this one woman. Because if they infer that she wasn't, then the deal, I guess, is off and she's free to speak publicly about what happened. And that's not what Dr. Huxtable wants, believe me. And what's fascinating about that, you could tell I've been obsessed with this story all week. The prosecutor in that case even said, because the woman had come forward many years ago, and the prosecutor said he wanted badly to charge Cosby with a, with a crime because when they brought him in for questioning especially, they thought he was lying about what happened. He was fidgeting, he was very evasive, but I guess the woman waited too long to come forward. It, she waited like a month or something after it happened. A month or a year. It was something something like that. So they didn't have you know, the evidence they needed, like blood and stuff like that, to prove that he did this beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the key. You might know in your heart of hearts that this guy did something wrong, but unless you have the evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt in court, you can't really bring charges against that person. So, it never happened. But he was ready to nail Cosby to the wall on that. I mean, just read up on all of these cases and form your own opinion. I've already formed mine. I'm convinced this guy is a serial rapist. I absolutely believe that. And it's disgusting that he's gotten away with it for this long. And I say good. I say let him squirm now every single time he's asked about it. Let him fight back and start defending his good name if he did nothing wrong. But he won't because he knows he's guilty. And it sucks because I hate the idea that Bill Cosby is a rapist. When I was a kid, I remember sitting with my mom watching his comedy specials. This was before the Cosby show was even a thing, before it even came on the air. And the guy was hilarious. I mean, he, he was truly one of the all-time great comedy pioneers. He's right up there with the George Carlins and the Richard Pryors of the world. And so to hear stuff like this, it's all, it almost makes you feel guilty for enjoying his work, you know? I mean, it's silly, but I kind of feel that way. And I feel like we're hearing stories like this more and more, and that's all social media. I mean, that's technology in the modern world. If that video clip with, with Hannibal Burris doesn't go viral, then people are not talking about Bill Cosby right now. This is a non-story. And then, speaking of social media, this is even better. His PR people go on his Twitter. This was before things really blew up in the last like week, week and a half. They go on his Twitter a few weeks ago, and they make the mother of all blunders. They ask people to take a photo of Cosby and turn him into an internet meme. This is what his own people posted on his Twitter. Hey, let's turn Bill Cosby into a meme. I mean, are you kidding me? Who thought that was a good idea? People had a field day with that. That's the power of social media. I see it with my own job every single day. And the thing is, it's not that all of this sick shit only happens now. Sick shit like this has always been going on. We just didn't know about it. Or people ignored it. They turned a blind eye to it. You know, one woman coming forward would be one thing. When you have ten different women at least, whose stories all seem to follow the same pattern. 
He drugged them and he raped them. And not all of them are only first coming out now and saying something either. And I'm sure others are going to be coming forward. I can guarantee that. Once that happens, you can't bury your head in the jello pudding and ignore it. Here's a guy who spent the last however many years yelling at black kids to pull up their pants, shouting it as loud as he could in front of whatever TV camera they put in front of his face. And now, when it comes to questions about dropping his own pants, all of a sudden, he's got nothing to say. And to me, that says it all. So I just wanted to mention that. This is the sound off. There's a reason the word wrestling is not anywhere in the title of the show. I can pretty much sound off on anything. And that was uh, one story that really really got to me this week, so I wanted to get that off my chest. If you have questions, again, for the mailbag, please send them in to me, thesolomonster at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at Solomonster is my handle. I'll be live tweeting during the Survivor Series pay-per-view. I live tweet during Raw each and every Monday night. Oftentimes, you and I will go back and forth on Twitter, and I think we entertain ourselves more than the actual TV show. So, at Solomonster is the place to go. Facebook.com. Slash The Solomonster is my official profile page. We have a fan page that you can like, which you will have to like if you want to gain membership into our private discussion group on Facebook. So please like our fan page, and then you can apply for membership there. We have a great uh, community of people, and we are on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Solomonster. You can subscribe to our channel. I am planning on uh, putting up more content very soon, including a possible Chris Jericho book review once I am done. I am trying my hardest to finish this book before Thanksgiving with the hope that the time off I have for Thanksgiving, I may spend part of my holiday doing that, but only if I can finish the book in time. So subscribe to the channel, and as soon as new videos go up, you will be alerted that uh, they are there for your viewing pleasure. Make a PayPal donation if you want to support the show, thesolomonster.com, and you can also subscribe to audible.com for their free trial using our URL, audibletrial.com slash solomonster. And you get one free audio book. Chris Jericho's new book is up there. Stone Cold's book, The Stone Cold Truth, as narrated by Steve Austin himself. You can get these books for free using our URL. And buy a sound off shirt on prowrestlingtees.com slash solomonster sounds off. That's going to do it for episode 355 this weekend. I want to thank you all for tuning into the podcast this week and spreading the word and Really, uh, I appreciate all the help you guys give each and every week with your support of the show. Please have a very happy Thanksgiving. We won't have another show until after the holiday, so I wanted to say that. I know what I'm thankful for this year. I am thankful, as I am every year, for your support and for this uh, this podcast here because I really enjoy doing it, and a lot of that has to do with you guys. So have a happy Thanksgiving. Have a, uh, a safe holiday weekend as well. We will be back with episode 356 next time. Until then, happy Turkey Day. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The Solomonster sounds off. Happy Lee. I had to sit in the stands and watch Granny break a wine bottle over another woman's ass. What a classy lady. And I loved how she went for the cheap pop by pleading with everybody, My mother was born in Brooklyn. As if that's supposed to impress all of us. Guess what? It didn't. They got exactly the reaction they deserved. And the next morning on the Today Show, they talked about their experience. Happy Lee claimed that she was against appearing on the show in the first place. She had to be convinced to do it. This is all coming from a woman who once made an autistic kid cry on national television. There's a lot of dumb shit this woman has said over the years that should have earned her a lifetime ban from television. She's got no business being on TV. Why is she employed? Why does she have a job? The picture of class, Kathy Lee Gifford. 
Since 2007, the Salamonster sounds off. Available at thesalamonster.com, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, and more. Solo Monsters sound off.